Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Ukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message.
Hey, welcome to Active Church, everybody. My name is Mike and I serve on the team here and we want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mamas out there, all of the mom-to-bees, all of those mom figures, everybody in between. We are so thankful for you and we honor you today. We sent out a really great activator named Sienna to ask some of our active fam, what was the one thing that their mama taught them growing up? This was the best video that I've ever seen, and so I can't wait to share it with you. Here's what many of our active people learned from their mom over the last few years. Check it out. So we're out here prepping for Mother's Day and we wanted to know what's the best piece of advice your mom has ever given you? My mom has always taught me to work hard. You can have some great things in life if you work hard and dedicate yourself to what you're doing. Um, she's always taught me that nothing's impossible for me. As long as I put my mind to it, it's gonna happen. To be nice. To be nice, that's so sweet. Thank you. And we just wanted to know what's the best piece of advice your mom has ever given you? Just to be kind to everyone because you never know what someone could be going through. So yeah, just to be kind. What's the best piece of advice your mom has ever given you? My mom's given me a lot of advice, but the best advice that I personally think she's giving me is to know what you believe and why you believe that. Just by watching my mom, one of the most important things that I've learned from her is to be perseverant. No matter how difficult or challenging things in life can be, you have to have the strength to overcome those adversities, otherwise you're not going to be able to move forward. No matter what people call you, no matter what they say, no matter what they do to you, do not worry about it. Just keep pushing forward because God gave you the strength. He gave you the wisdom to keep pushing forward in life. So just never give up. Keep pushing. Use your heart. Believe in yourself. So we're out here for Mother's Day and we wanted to know what's the best piece of advice your mom has ever given you? Well, one day my mama was cooking. She was making spaghetti and she said, son, when you put the water and you put the noodles, make sure you put oil in the water so that the noodles don't stick together. You don't want them sticking like that. I'd say the best piece of advice my mom has given me is to not worry. Don't worry. I'd be one to always get in my head and just, I feel like worrying just makes the situation worse. So honestly, just don't worry about it. Life will work itself out. You have people who love you and you'll be okay. The sun will always rise tomorrow. The best piece of advice my mom ever gave me was that to not try to be somebody else, but just to try to be me and the best me that I can be. Best piece of advice my mom has ever given me is just stay true to myself. Be me, don't. Don't worry about what other people think about you and just be yourself. All right, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I just want to shout out my wife, Valerie. It's her first Mother's Day from me and our daughter, Soraya. And we just want to say thank you so much for being the amazing wife and mother you are to us. To not rush your life because you have your whole life to live, especially in relationships, being young. She's always told me to be like, like patient and just let life roll out itself because God always has a plan for you. Laughing and smiling keeps you spiritually and physically young. The best piece of advice my mother ever gave me is that gluten can be in or outside of the cookie. Gluten is a binder, sort of like the one I never took to school. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about love, and dates, and today we're gonna talk about heartbreaks. If you're watching or listening for the very first time, my name is Mike and I serve on the team here at Active Church. And over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. And we've been talking about relationships and talking about relationships in a very unique way. Often, we talk about getting somebody, looking for somebody to date, to get engaged with, or to marry. But in this series, we've been talking about becoming someone. Becoming the person worth looking for, or if you're in a relationship, becoming the person worth staying for. 
And today, I want to share with you on Mother's Day what my mama taught me about getting over heartbreak. Now, there's two things that I want you to know. The first thing is this, that a broken heart doesn't mean that you're broken. A broken heart doesn't mean that you're broken. It means that you shared feelings, you shared thoughts, you shared emotions, you fell in love, and then things didn't work out the way that you would have hoped. A broken heart doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. So know that. And the second thing I want you to know is that there's a purpose for you even when your dreams don't come true. There's a purpose for your life even when your dreams don't turn out the way that you'd hope. And just because it didn't go in that direction doesn't mean that you're forgotten or that God has turned his back on you. So two things I want to start off with is that a broken heart doesn't mean that you're broken. And that just because your dreams didn't come true doesn't mean that there's not a purpose for you. Isn't it true that all of us enter into adulthood with some sort of idea, some sort of picture of what we want the future to look like? Like many of us would say, I want to be graduated by, I want to be married by, I want to buy a house by, I want to start a business by, I want to have children by this time, I want to retire by that time. And we do this in life, we do this in our relational, relational life as well. And the truth is, is nobody envisions their future alone. We all have a picture of somebody with us in our future. And as time goes by, we begin to learn that sometimes our dreams don't come true. Sometimes we make decisions that cause our dreams not to come true. Sometimes it's our fault, right? Sometimes we are partially to blame as to why our dreams aren't coming true. And then there are those unique moments where you and I have been the exception. We did everything right, but things still didn't turn out the way that we would hope. And now that person that we've been in relationship with, now they wanna be friends. Now they wanna live by a different narrative. They wanna live with somebody else. Now it feels like everybody else's dreams are coming true, but our dreams, your dreams, my dreams, they're not. And if that's the season that you're in, if that's the space that you are living in, could I just say to you, friend to friend, that I'm so sorry because I know that it's hard and I know that it's heavy and I know that this season is difficult, especially if you are leaving a relationship. Maybe you were dating, you were engaged, you were coupling, maybe you were married and you're going through a really difficult divorce and you didn't anticipate or expect to be here. And if that's your season, if that's where you're at, I am so sorry. Isn't it true that it's, that it's gut-wrenching and that heartbreak is heartbreaking? Now, if you're a Christian, there's something that you need to know. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you've trusted your life to the person of Jesus, and you believe in his work through the cross and the resurrection, there's something that you need to know. The men and women who came before us, who brought us the story of Jesus, shared the story of Jesus with us, they were not strangers to heartbreak. They were not strangers to the reality that dreams could not come true. In fact, it turns out that these men and women who came before us, they weren't cursed, but they were blessed. It turns out that they weren't broken, they were chosen. And they didn't choose the hand that was dealt to them, but they chose to trust the hand that allowed it to be dealt. The thing that I've loved about learning about church history and about Christians who came before us is that these men and women changed and shaped our world. 
And they taught us something really unique, specifically about moments of heartbreak and when our dreams don't come true. Here's what they taught us, that you and I will discover a purpose in our pain when we choose to keep our hands and our hearts open to God. Because that's what, that's what they did. And they saw it work well for them. They saw their posture change and their life change. They kept their hands and their hearts open to God, even though it didn't go the way that they thought it would go. Mary is an example of that. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary. Like, I don't think that she thought when she was a teenager, I don't think that she planned to be the mother of the Son of God. I don't think that she planned to tell her fiance that she was pregnant, but actually didn't violate their future vows, that she actually was pregnant because of the Spirit of God and she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Like, I don't think that that narrative was in her story. I don't think that was a part of her dream. And she had an angel that appeared to her and shared with her that a sword will pierce your soul. In other words, that things are not gonna go the way that you would hope and that your dream of what the future would look like is gonna be very, very different. And yet this same angel also said that you are blessed amongst women, Mary. You're gonna give birth to the savior of the world. And Mary's response was remarkable. Luke, who followed Jesus and had his life changed by Jesus, he recorded it in his letter called Luke in the Bible. And he tells us that Mary's response to this announcement over her life was, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. It's remarkable. She kept her hands and her heart open to God. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, is another example of what it looks like to keep your hands and your heart open to God. John was to prepare the way of Jesus, and he did. That was what his life was to be given to and yet there was a part of his life that he didn't think about, he didn't dream about, he didn't hope for, and yet he had to face it at the end of his life. He was not liked by the king and by those that were around the king. And right before his life was to come to a very violent and abrupt end, somebody asked him about his life and how he viewed God. And John, the disciple, actually writes this down in his letter, writes down what John the Baptist says to that person about his life, even though it's gonna to come to an end and it didn't turn out the way that he would hope, he said to that person, a person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. Like, it's not my plan. It's not how I dreamed it would play out, but I trust God. I'm keeping my hands and my heart open to him. And then Jesus, the one that we are pursuing, the one that we love, who loved us first, the one that died on the cross and rose again from the grave, Jesus, the son of God, was in a garden and he prayed to his heavenly father, like, let this cup pass. And then these powerful words that Luke records in that same letter where he talked about Mary, Jesus prayed, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that's the posture that these first Christians and Jesus himself modeled for us when dreams and plans turn in a different direction, when heartbreak rises up. And, and I've seen what you've seen. I've seen people push back on this. I've seen people allow fear to inform their decisions. I've seen people lose faith because things didn't work out because heartbreak came. The, the reality is, is I've seen their desperation lead them to more despair. But I've also seen the remarkable side. I've seen it in people that I love. I've seen it in people at Active, maybe even in you, someone watching or, or listening to this, where they chose to refuse 
cynicism. They chose to not lean into bitterness or not lean into labels. They ignored what we all were feeling in those moments when dreams are broken and hearts are breaking. And I'm drawn to people like that. I don't know about you. But they taught us something about what it means to be remarkable. What I've learned is that remarkable people are those who face great heartbreak and yet remain open and ready for God to do something. And I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been following Jesus since I was eight. And it's been over 30 years that I've been following Jesus. And I've seen people try to turn this into a gimmick. Like they get frustrated with God because they believe that if they do all these right things, then God will be right to them. If they're really, really good, then God will be good back. But that actually isn't the way of God. That's not the God of the Bible. If we believe in a God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people, we're not believing in the God that has shown up in the person and work of Jesus. In fact, in the story of God, the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person, that being Jesus. And what Jesus brought us, he brought us a new way of living, a new way of surrendering, a new way to go, a new way to have courage, a new way to have faith, a new way to have hope. Jesus, when he came, didn't offer us an equation do this and God will do that. Jesus offered us an invitation to lose our lives so that we can have real life, the life that he was to bring us through his death and resurrection on the cross. He said, follow me and I'll show you. I'll teach you. You can learn from me. That's where the word disciple comes from. Learn from me because I'm going to show you how I live and through what I've done. You will experience this new way of life through the invitation that Jesus gives us. It's where peace is found. It's where striving ends. It's it's where you and I can live learning how to keep our hands open, where you and I can live saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. This actually, this idea of hands open and hearts open to God actually shows up for one of the first times in the scriptures, in the story of David, like King David, David. And he learned this in a moment that was really difficult. He was in his mid-60s and he makes an incredible statement because he learned something about life and about relationship and about God. And, And by the way, if you are in your 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or maybe even 90s, this story is powerful because this story is a reminder that God's not done with you yet. Like you haven't aged out of God teaching you something. You haven't aged out of God helping you to become more like Jesus. In fact, if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we who are not in that age bracket, we need you. We need your humility. We need your wisdom. We need your compassion. We need your courage. And so this story is a great example of what happens when you get older, that God can still teach you some things. So what I want to do is I actually want to tell you this story because it's powerful. And I want to show you what David learned, but I I can't show you unless I show you what happened first. And so today I want to take you through this story of David. And as we go through it, I want to share with you what my mama taught me about getting over heartbreak. It's something that she learned from Mary and John the Baptist and Jesus and from the story of David. And so if you have a Bible with you or the Bible app near you, would you open it up to the document of 1 Samuel and we'll be in chapter 21. And as you're turning there, let me set the scene for you. David was a shepherd boy when we first get introduced to him, and he was anointed to be king by the high priest because God said, this is the next man who will be king. And amongst that time, the Philistines and David's people, the Israelites, are at war. 
And David went down to check on his brothers who were in this battle to give them food and give them water. And when he arrives, the leader of the Philistine army, Goliath, is mocking the people of God and God himself. And David is like, anybody going to say anything to this guy? Anybody going to do anything about this? And everybody was afraid because he was strong. He was big. He was a giant. So David decides to do something about it. Maybe you're familiar with what happened. David takes a couple of rocks and a slingshot and he lets one of the rocks go. And the word of God says that God directed the rock and it took out Goliath. And they were able to defeat the Philistine army and the Israelite army was victorious. Because of this moment, David actually gets really famous. In fact, more famous than the king. He marries the king's daughter, and at first it was really great for King Saul, but then he gets very jealous of David and actually decides to eliminate David by taking his life. He actually attempts it at one point. And David gets scared and he begins to run because he doesn't know what to do. This is not a part of the dream. This was not a part of what he planned. His heart is broken and he's panicked. And so he runs to a city to try to hide, a city called Nob. And the high priest there is a friend of David's. His name is Ahimelech. And when he arrives, David actually lies to his friend about why he's there. He said, I'm here on the king's business. And that's actually not true. He's running from the king. And he's scared and he's panicked. And then David asks Ahimelech because he's scared and he's panicked. Something really interesting, and that's where we pick up the story. 1 Samuel 21, starting in verse 8. David says, Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? See, I I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because uh, the king's business was urgent. David continues, doubles down on his lie, and he tries to control the narrative. And isn't it true when your dream gets broken or your heart gets broken, isn't it true that that's what we try to do? Like we try to control everything. We try to manipulate the narrative because we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, we don't want people to know what really happened. David was embarrassed and ashamed that the king was actually mad at him for doing something good. He was innocent and yet he doesn't allow his innocence to lead the way. He allows his fear and his panic to lead the way. And so here he is asking for a weapon and so Ahimelech has no idea about what has really happened and so he responds to his friend with something really powerful. He says, I have a weapon and it's the sword of Goliath. Like David, remember when you fought Goliath? This was the sword that you used to win that battle. This sword was a visual aid to David of God's promise and faithfulness, but David doesn't see it that way because he feels hopeless and helpless in this moment. And he decides to take matters into his own hands and he responds to Ahimelech like, oh yeah, give it to me. There is none like this sword. Here's the problem. David taking the sword and lying to his friend actually ends up destroying his friend in that whole city because the king, Saul, hears about it. And Saul assumes that Ahimelech has violated his oath to the king and actually is supporting a criminal in his mind. So King Saul brings his army and he wipes out the whole city, including David's friend. David hears about this and of course, he's devastated. Now his lie hasn't just affected him when he could have been honest, but now everybody's lost their life. And this is something that David carries with him for the rest of his life. Years later, he actually becomes the king. And because he made some terrible decisions, he ends up being a not so great father. And it was in his 60s that he finds himself struggling with a very similar situation. His son, Absalom, is very, very upset with him. 
because David's daughter, Absalom's sister, was violently taken advantage of, and David did nothing about it. Absalom is so mad that he said, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna take my father's throne. And so he attacks the city and wants to go to war with his father and his father, David, doesn't wanna fight him. And so we're told in 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 23, that David leaves. And the whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. He was their king and he was leaving and he was giving up his throne. And then we're told in verse 23 that the king crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved towards the wilderness. David found himself in the very same place he was when he was hiding from Saul. You ever, you ever been there? You ever felt like this in life? Like everything's gone, everything's broken, and now I'm back to the place that I worked so hard to get out of? Like I'm here again, and I don't wanna be here. I never thought I'd be here. I'm supposed to help people who are here get out of here. And yet David's there. And then there's a bit of a twist in this story. We're told that Zadok was there. He's the high priest of Jerusalem. And he was carrying along with the Levites, the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark was a powerful representation of God's presence. Inside of the Ark were the Ten Commandments and other artifacts that represented God's promises and God's love. And the belief was that if you had the Ark, God was with you. And so David, because he has the ark, could have said, like, God is with me, and he could have manipulated the outcomes. And this wouldn't have been the first time. The other time was when we looked at the story of Nob and Ahimelech. But there's another famous moment where David manipulated outcomes, when he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. Do you remember that? There's stories about it. There's a song about it. He had an affair with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant, and he tries to cover it up. doesn't work. So he has the husband killed and then he brings Bathsheba into his home and pretends everything's okay when it's not. This is why he's a terrible father because he undermined his relational authority with his kids. And he tried to control the narrative. This is something that David has done in the years past, but in this moment, it's like something clicked for him. Something snapped in his brain and he realized like, I can't do this anymore. And so he looks at Zadok and he says, take the ark of God back to the city. I'm not gonna try to manipulate the outcomes anymore. And I'm not gonna try to manipulate God. This is not an equation to figure out. It's an invitation to follow him. And then he says something really powerful that I think you need to hear. And I know I need to hear it. It's actually what my mama taught me about getting over moments where my heart is broken. David said, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, I know he will bring me back and he'll let me see his dwelling place again. In other words, I'm gonna stop all negotiation with the God of all creation. I'm all done. I'm not gonna try to control everything because I've lost control. And then he says this, but if he says, talking about God, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Let God do to me whatever he, he seems good good to him. Whatever he decides is good. Let God do that to me. These are the words that Mary used later on. These are the words that John the Baptist talked about. These are the words that Jesus spoke in the garden. I'm going to leave the consequences in my Father's very capable hands. You know what this teaches us? 
teaches us something really powerful. It's what my mama taught me. That heartbreak is an interruption of our dreams and our plans, but it's not an interruption to God's plans and purposes in your life. Like heartbreak is an interruption for what we wanted, but it's not an interruption for what God is doing. Like God isn't thrown by these moments. Zadok, the high priest, was actually thrown by David's request. <laughs> We're told in verse 27, David goes, hey, do you understand what I'm asking you? Because maybe Zadok is like, why, why, are, why are we doing this? Why are, why are you sending me back? Like, this is the presence of God going with you. Don't you want God to go with you? And he hears David say, I'm going to keep my hands and my heart open to God. Take that back. I'm not going to manipulate the outcome. He said, go back to the city with my blessing. So Zadok took the ark of God back to Jerusalem. And David continued, weeping as he went. He was mourning and he lost everything. But the one thing that he didn't lose was his confidence in God. And he could have. He could have abandoned God, but he trusted that God didn't abandon him. He didn't anchor his faith, don't miss this, in the fulfillment of his dreams. In other words, he didn't say that when things are good, that means God is good, and when things are bad, that means God is bad. If you do that, by the way, that will cause you to lose faith, and maybe that's why you've lost faith. Because you've trusted that God would not allow anything bad to happen in your life, but that's not the God of the Scriptures. The God of the Scriptures isn't thrown by those circumstances that happen in your life. The God of the Scriptures uses that pain for a greater purpose. And so David decides, I'm going to keep my hands and my heart open to God. The invitation is, is this, for you, for me. Would you be willing to open your hand and say to God, here are my plans, here are my dreams. God, do to me whatever seems good to you. God, I acknowledge your right to rule and to reign, and I trust in you. This is not what I expected, but I'm trusting that you are still at work and there is a purpose, there is a direction that my life still matters. God, that you are for me. I trust you. Friends, that's what my mama taught me when my heart was broken as a junior in high school when my very first girlfriend broke up with me. We were gonna be together forever. <laughs> but God had different plans and he knew what he had designed for me. And in that moment, my mom just reminded me, Mike, keep your hands and your heart open to God because he's up to something in you and through you. And now here I am years later with an incredible wife who's my best friend and great kids, and you, the active family. I didn't anticipate this at all, and yet God did. Because in those moments of heartbreak, God did some great healing in me and reminded me that that wasn't an interruption to his plans and purpose in my life. The truth is, is when your heart is broken, it doesn't mean that you're broken. And those that came before us, they, they didn't lose faith because of those moments where their plans and their dreams were, were lost when their hearts were, were broken. They remained faithful because they trusted in the God who was faithful to them. And listen, when your heart is broken, friends, that's your cue not to run. That's your cue to actually lean in and look up and to reach out. And I get that it's the very opposite of how we feel in those moments. I get that it's not what we want to do. It's not the priority, but it is the thing that brings healing. So here's what I want to do as we finish the series and finish our time together. I want to pray some words over you that I want to invite you to begin to pray 
in this season of heartbreak, in this season when your dreams are being adjusted. I wanna pray some words over you that I believe will be a game changer for you. And I wanna give you these words because I know sometimes we don't know what to say in these moments. But I'm a big believer that sometimes when we have words that are given to us, we place it on our lips and then it begins to move our hearts. So may I pray for you and pray intentionally these words over you. I wanna say to God, God, I offer the dreams and the plans of my friends to you. And I ask that you would do to us whatever seems good to you. We acknowledge your right to rule and to reign in our life. God, may your will be done in me, in them, in us. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And together we say, amen and amen and amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I wanna ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I wanna invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.